Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Prod Squad podcast. Nick Cook here, joined by Brendan Colleton, as always, the man of a thousand microphones, <laughs> <laughs> back with a brand new one. Brendan, let him brand hear the new mic. mic. Yeah, here it is, guys. Let me let me know. This one, this one's is a brand new used microphone, but it, it looks like it could go. <laughs> it looks like it brand could go new to Brendan. Yeah, it looks like it could go at the end of a boom. Like it's like a boom mic, but without the boom. Like I'm just missing the stick. So I feel like things are really looking up. It is the most legitimate looking mic Brendan has brought to this so far. Yeah, uh, but with a but with a really interesting product twist, where this mic, uh, unlike every other microphone known to man, uh, has a steady red uh, like indicator <laughs> icon when it's not muted and it blinks red when it is muted. So that's, uh, again, it's going to take some getting used to. So I'll, I'll do my best to stay off mute. Literally the first thing I asked, cause we do this, these recordings on video was I saw him talking. I was like, are you sure it's coming through your mic? It's, it's a solid red color. <laughs> nope. That's the <laughs> on, that's the on color. It felt like a perfect microphone for two guys talking about product management. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, all right, so so this is episode seven, and we figured we'd try something a little bit different. Um, so we'll we'll get to that, but we'll start as we kind of always do with the retro. So, uh, Brendan, between uh, the last episode and now, uh, what's something that's been on your mind? Yeah. So uh, besides being bothered by my microphone color, uh, the other application that really got on my nerves this week was uh, Redfin. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Redfin is a like a house searching app, very similar to Zillow. You know, aggregating all of the listings for houses and making it really easy to search. And uh, also, like Zillow, they have an estimate that they give for your house or your condo or your rental price property. And I always thought that was cool, right? They're they're taking data, they're taking listings and new sales, and they're putting that together, trying to come up with a, a good estimate for your property. And they have this historical chart to kind of show you how it changed over time. And I realized this week that those historical numbers are not set, that they actually modify their historical, I feel like you can't even call them estimates anymore, but they (laughs) modify their historical estimates. And so as a product manager, I asked myself, why would Redfin change historically what they're estimating, right? Like, sure, they might change the algorithm, but that should change today's estimate. It shouldn't change last month's estimate. And the only thing I can think of is that they, they're trying to basically smooth out the curve. They're trying to, to make, you know, the curve over time look constantly like, you know, prices are appreciating, which is just deceptive, honestly. (laughs) And so I, I used to be like a big Redfin proponent, but I think I've, I've now totally opposite end of the spectrum. Like, I don't think like I get it, the whole discount realty thing, like seemed seemed great to me, seemed like it made a lot of sense, an industry that needed like discount realtors, but now, now they're I don't know. That I feel burned. I am I am they're in a dark place for me. <laughs> I know you were a Redfin proponent at, at one point. Um 
it, I will say, uh, nothing to do with the historical pricing, but Redfin does always estimate as a as a property owner who who, who checks on what my my condo is is worth. They are always the lowest estimate, so I automatically don't like them. I want to believe the <laughs> highest estimate at any time. So. Uh, yeah, well, now you know that they're they're the lowest estimate. and They have no conviction and no guts, <laughs> and they no don't guts. believe they don't stand behind their algorithms. And so you're totally right, just to to turn tune them out. They're. We're, it, <laughs> Not to be trifled with Redfin. <laughs> we're we're very we're out on Redfin unless you want to sponsor us. We definitely will be back <laughs> in on Redfin. Uh, I uh, I just had a quick one this week, um, which was iOS just um, pushed an update, and and I'm an Android user, um, but my wife has iOS. Um, and occasionally at at night, if she like falls asleep or something, I'll put her phone on do not disturb, so, so like text messages don't come in and and wake either of us up. And for some reason, do not disturb on the iPhone previously used to just be you'd like pull down and it was a button. You just turned it on or turned it off. Perfect design. <laughs> that is exactly what I want to do <laughs> at all times and do not disturb. Now you like pull it down and it's like a menu. It's like, did you want focus time or do not disturb time? Or there's like, I didn't even read the other three options. And um, I think it, depending on where you click, you can, it's like either um, trying to configure it versus turn it on. And it just seemed to me like one of the perfect examples of just this, this user flow that was totally not broken. And now maybe I'm a minority here, right? They must have changed it for a reason. But it was just the simplest thing. Like it, it just worked exactly how I wanted it to before. And now I've, I've at minimum, you've added one extra click on top of the confusion of like, what is this focus time thing? So anyways, it was just like, I, I don't know. I think sometimes there's an example of like, you, you overthink yourself a little bit. Like just give me the button that turns do not disturb on it off. You know what? I'm like so with you on this one, by the way, because like I think I tried to use that feature for the first time thinking it was a one click thing like a month ago and discovered that it was more than that. And it was like, oh, I don't have time to learn how to yeah. use focus time. <laughs> so forget that. Uh, yeah. And you know, honestly, while we're airing grievances, <laughs> do, you, uh, do you use the Gmail app on your phone? Yes. Do you, did you notice how they changed how you move things into folders? And like you can't do that now, like in in a group booking, it's like a swiping motion. No, I don't think I. What, no, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Uh, maybe this is just iOS, or maybe it's a setting that I messed up. But now, like, I can't move like five messages into personal and five into business. Like, I have to swipe on each one, unless I'm missing something entirely. Oh. But it's a change of behavior that it's driven me up a wall. Not not as much up of a wall as as Redfin's price estimates, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Definitely something I'm also bothered by. I will say Gmail, while we're on it briefly, they seem to be, I think they get more aggressive every day with their their ads in their client, especially on their desktop client. Yeah, They're like, here's some promotions. And it's just like their ads. It's like, these aren't promotions, right? right? Why are just, my first two, my first two yeah. emails are now like <laughs> yes. totally advertisements every day. Yes, like, that one gets me too. Well, this is this is a very cathartic retro. This is just <laughs> things we hate for five minutes of things we hate. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, so transitioning into the the kind of main part of the podcast, we wanted to try something new. You know, normally our podcasts are kind of driven by like we pick um, like a learning topic, like um, the PM interview or falling in love with the problem, and that sort of drives the episode. 
But we want to try something a little different here, which was um, have sort of some current events uh, kind of drive the episode and, and kind of talk about them uh, more, I think, kind of through a, a product lens. Um, obviously, we'll do some uh, you know, news recap, but this certainly isn't meant to be an exhaustive news podcast. Um, and the topic we're going to look at today is kind of the streaming wars um, as a whole, uh, spurred by uh, you know a couple big stories. Um, specifically, one being the rise and immediate fall of <laughs> CNN Plus, and then the um, sort of downward, uh, steep downward trajectory Netflix and, and their stock has seen um, sort of this year. Um, so I, I guess let's get started with kind of recapping those. And we'll start with with CNN Plus. Yeah, Nick, this is something I'm pretty excited to, to dive into. Like, so I've done a little bit of research this week and like, uh, you know, I'm ready to throw a few resumes to Netflix and like say, hey man, I got this all figured out for you. <laughs> I, got, I got the future figured out. But um, like, this is something that I feel like the last month uh, hearing more and more about uh, different types of, of streaming services and the struggles that they're having. And uh, the latest one that really kind of caught my eye, because I didn't even know that it had launched, was CNN+. Plus. Um, so for those that, like me, didn't know that this thing was even coming out, CNN+, Plus was going to be um, basically CNN's version of like an additional Times, New York Times subscription or ESPN Plus type subscription, where they were going to sort of progressively put additional, uh, you know, additional uh, content behind a paywall that uh, they would start charging their users for, and that's sort of a big decision for CNN because they're like they have a very popular website on the internet. They're the most popular sort of non-paid. Uh, you know, a news website out there. And, um, you know, so for them to decide that they're going to sort of introduce this brand new business model was sort of a bold decision for them, I guess. Mm. And uh, they could not have failed more miserably. <laughs> um, so they set a goal of having uh, 10 million subscribers in the first year. And they shut down uh, after the first two weeks when they had fewer than 10 K uh, viewers. So uh, not the trajectory. They were yeah, not on there. the trend line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is after spending. So I did a little bit of math. The article I was reading said they spent 300 million. Uh, so 300 Ooh. million, 10 K subscribers, uh, the customer acquisition cost of roughly 30 K was what they said. <laughs> Ooh, that's <laughs> so, rough. Yeah. Uh, and so like I, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but like what went wrong for, for CNN plus, uh, apparently they had been, you know, CNN has been acquired by a parent company that also owns HBO max and discovery plus. And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting microcosm of like, what do you see as the future of streaming where you have these three, you know, very differentiated products, potentially all in the streaming, right? Like, can they work uh, together or not? And, uh, apparently the, the, the parent company basically said, no, absolutely not. We, you know, uh, we see no future here. So they, they did something that's oftentimes hard to do with products and they, they shut it down. They cut their losses and, uh, are going to go, a, in a whole different direction. I, I will say that that isn't an important thing to point out. You can't let one bad decision lead to a second bad decision, which may have been keeping CNN plus up. Right. Um, I, I, I do also, I, 
people we have to stop putting plus after the name of everything i can't <laughs> i can't take another plus service please figure out a different name uh paramount plus espn plus disney plus i mean it's come on we gotta do something else yeah uh, it's got there's definitely lack of creativity in the uh in the the premium streaming service space yeah uh, I was not familiar with with this this launch, and <laughs> there wasn't much of a window for me to discover it. I guess uh, I, I do think we'll, we'll we'll get into this, but it's interesting. It, it does feel like we're seeing this like you kind of either have to be a big player, right? Like Disney is probably the best example of this, or you have to get bundled into a big player's <laughs> like package, right? Like I, I know Disney does. Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu is a their 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 package that you can kind of get, and I think ESPN Plus um, probably gets a lot more subscribers, like gets carried by that that bundle in, in a lot of instances. Um, I mean, for me, I, I you know pay for that and don't really use the ESPN offering, even though I watch the sports and everything that that's more um, live sports and and just not through through ESPN Plus. So that you know hearing that they had this parent company that just wants to like take CNN plus and shove, shove it or some part of it into maybe a, a, another application or a bundle is, is not too surprising, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm somebody too, that I subscribe to way too many of these subscription mm. services. <laughs> like, you know, I find out that one soccer game I want is on uh, Peacock TV. And so I'm throwing them $5 a month for probably like nine months until I forget that I still have it uh, to, you know, have access to that one piece of content. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's the way that I know about these streaming services is not by like what their focus is, but, oh, they have this one piece of content I want on it. And, uh, I mean, I've read like five articles about CNN plus and I, you still couldn't tell me what content was on there <laughs> that, you know, like I, I know CNN as a news website and I'm sure they're, you know, maybe premium news, but like, I, I I still think it's pretty confusing, like to try and go through a launch uh, where there isn't that premium piece of content, right? Like uh, you think about that compared to, you know, what HBO Max could have launched with or put behind uh, closed doors, like what what Disney Plus was offering. Like so many premium content offerings were like only available through those services that like CNN saying like, oh no, we're just going to put like our best news behind that, like not a compelling value play on their end. No, I, I think just a, a, the perfect example of this was Disney Plus and The Mandalorian. I mean, you want to talk about, uh, I, there's been articles written on like, that may be one of the most valuable <laughs> pieces of entertainment ever developed in the sense that it be, it was sort of came out of nowhere, huge, like critical and audience acclaim and basically carried Disney plus until they kind of like right. built up the rest of the service. But they had like one, I paid, I signed up for it to watch literally one television show and then didn't unsubscribe from it. And obviously now it has a lot more on it, but I, I, I totally agree. And I think that that um, is the way a lot of these services go is, is you have these, like, it's not really about the breadth of the, content it's about the the peaks what is the one to five things that um you can sort of point to and say this is on x service and and so i'm gonna shell out another 5.99 a month or whatever it is <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you bring that up too because i think like the next service we're going to talk about netflix has made their entire business model about finding those like peaks right about in, like mm -hmm. netflix has invested more 
in content development than virtually any other streaming service out there. Um, the last thing I'm going to add about CNN Plus before we get into Netflix is they also killed themselves with uh, this like too good to be true pricing model that I read about. And when I read about it, I was like, uh, of course, like nobody wanted to try and grow this service. So they were offering this intro package, like a lot of services do, a lot of subscription services of $3 a month. But the difference for CNN Plus was that if you got in at that $3 a month rate, you would never uh, be charged higher than $3 a month. So it was like a buy it for life type thing. And so now you have a parent company assuming ownership of this product that's not doing great, whose current like most loyal set of subscribers are never going to pay anything more for it because they got it at this like ridiculously cheap rate. So, uh, you know, I think just from the ground up, uh, a really rough execution to, to launching that, that particular service. Yeah, you have to be really confident that that price point is sustainable for you if it's if it does not expire at at some in some duration. I mean, um, yeah, that that is an aggressive gra- consumer grab. Yeah, but. and we talk about being able to iterate too, like with the launch of a new product, right? It's an MVP. You find out like what are people interested in, like what do we need to know. One of the things you definitely don't know at your MVP is what your long-term pricing strategy is going to be. Yeah. So like locking that in for your users is uh, a, yeah, a bold move. And it almost sets you up to like, I think long-term have, have conflicting sort of interests, right? Because you have this one model where you're just focused on retention and, and getting subscribers and that's all that matters. But then if you have this significant portion of your audience who is paying this really reduced rate there's i'm sure there's will be business pressure at some point to be like how do we get those three dollar people to pay more which is going to be counter to like per- perhaps just how do you get people to to stay subscribed and then kind of ha- you know force you into maybe um make some counterintuitive decisions about how to serve those two very different audiences so yeah i mean if anything that price point was a play to get you know, to just a huge wide variety of audience, like a huge number of people paying very, very little for this additional CNN plus. So like it made the initial, you know, subscriber counts for them that much more damning that that was the play and they just didn't get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's also something too. while we're just talking about price point, there is something too to like, we, we've seen this with uh, early, early stage uh, logic manager, you know, when we were trying to find new customers and iterate, like we launched like a basic, not freemium, but very, very cheap version of the product that we were like, oh, like our, our regular product, it's great, but some people tell us it's too expensive. And so like we'll launch this smaller version, like you get a foot in the door and it was a total failure because what we found was like people that valued the product at that amount, like basically didn't care enough about it to ultimately even pay for it. Like the, the companies like didn't care about what the value we were trying to provide them was. And so it couldn't have like, at some point there was just like no price that they would, that would have been cheap enough. They just weren't, you know, they didn't value what we were trying to build. Yeah. Uh, no. And, and it, it, it's like, we're kind of saying that that creates this, like, cause you know, when, when you're starting out this product and you're iterating on and listen to your customer base, you're creating like this alternative cost, like, that might not actually be the the customers you want to go after long term, although they are your sort of initial adopters, and so it can be um, challenging, potentially damaging to like to like listen to that subset of customers that has 
totally different um, sort of viewpoint on, on your product um, than maybe who you're trying to get after long term. Yeah. So that, that's CNN Plus, probably more airtime CNNS Plus got from any other platform <laughs> that we were yeah. able to deliver to here. So there you go, CNN, all media is good media. It was nice knowing you. Uh, next up, Netflix. Do you want to you wanna lead this one off? Yeah, switching gears to a uh, <laughs> much more long-running uh, product, uh, Netflix. Um, they've been in the news a lot because they have, uh, they've been down over 50% year-to-date. Their stock value has sort of just been been plummeting. A lot of people are thinking, oh, they're coming off their sort of COVID high where everyone got locked in their their home and anyone who didn't have a Netflix subscription was like, well, now's the time. And they sort of potentially set, you know, they had this huge burst of like, oh, their their subscribers are growing again. Uh, but now there's concern about like kind of saturation in a way. Um, you know, because for the first or for the first time in a decade, I think they actually lost subscribers. They're down like 200 k subscribers in Q1 of this year. Um, so you know, they had been on their their path to world domination <laughs> over the last decade, just gobbling up more and more subscribers, and um, they sort of put a chill on their their stock because it it really slowed down. Um, and in a letter to their shareholders, they kind of listed out four key factors: um, increasing competition. Uh, they did, probably didn't consider CNN Plus competition. <laughs> um, Watch out. <laughs> slowing smart TV adoption, so like less devices to to kind of get Netflix on. Password sharing, of course. Uh, Brendan, do you pay for your Netflix account personally? Uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, guilty as nor charged. do I. Okay. <laughs> we are two password sharers on this, on this call. Um, and then finally, sort of the larger macroeconomic developments that that we we're kind of talking to at the at the intro to this. Um, I I saw this like their their letter to shareholders, and I would say like I'm I'm not into you know like a big time stock investor or anything like that. But I think if I was an investor, I'd be somewhat disappointed in these types of uh, uh, and like their explanations here. Like none of them seem all that compelling to me in terms of like you know. Uh, something that Netflix could like rally around and change, like a, other than maybe the password sharing. Like I think that's the one that I would group into. Like, oh, that's a that's a product problem, right? Like they mm-hmm. should be able to solve that. Now, um, whether that helps them or hurts them, you know, I'd love to. I love your take on that. I would want to know whether if they shut us off, are we paying for Netflix? Uh, uh, but the other ones, you know, uh, blaming basically macroeconomic environments and like the COVID change like maybe that's true like covid is maybe a like shouldn't be considered reality and now we're kind of getting back to reality but you know the other ones uh, weren't the most inspiring in terms of like believing in like the next steps the company was going to be taking yeah and i, I think that we kind of pulled a quote out here about their their plan which um maybe was also you know it's only a brief snippet i'm sure this isn't <laughs> They have more to their plan than this, but they kind of said, our plan is to reaccelerate our viewing and revenue growth by continuing to improve all aspects of Netflix, in particular, the quality of our programming and recommendations, which is what our members value most. Um, so, I, All aspects. They're going after everything. All aspects. I, I will say, uh, obviously, a kind of a fluffy quote. I, I do find the recommendation piece interesting because I was thinking about this and... Um, I think there is a lot of value in not making me think. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> and it sounds terrible to say. And I, I think I've mentioned it before on this this podcast, but I believe TikTok is a master class in not making me think. And like like you open the app and it just serves you a video. And you Have, there's so hold no, on. Let me let, let me ask you. Netflix has this button now that says like just play yeah. something, right? It's yeah. like I don't want to think, just play something. You say that. Have you ever pressed that button? Never clicked it once. Yeah. Oh, I know. On. I know. Right. I was going to bring that up. They're clearly trying. Like, I think that is a clear effort there. Uh, the top 10 list, like, j- what's just popular. And I'm not saying I have a solution here. I, I, w- I, w- I did not. <laughs> I did not come into this with like a solution, but I do think it, of anything they say, I, I, I do feel like the, uh, you know, you lean so hard on those tentpole shows. I'm sure they want to try to find out how to, you know, they have this enormous catalog of, of content. And I, I don't know the data, but I would guess that some insane, like 90% of their viewership is across one percent of their (laughs) of their content right like you know you get your bridgerton or your witcher or your whatever they have i don't know um that that i obviously those are the ones that i've seen my wife watched bridgerton and i watch witcher but um and you both watch bridgerton it's cool (laughs) listen they have some cool like music mashups anyways um (laughs) uh but i you know you get those and that's what everyone talks about you go to the the early office or slack and i i do think that it would be it would behoove them to try to find a way to like make that rest of that catalog valuable to people um and and i'm sure recommendations are a way to to spin that up um so i don't have i don't have the how they do that but i i do think that's a a promising thing to think about like if i could just plop down on the couch and confidently be like netflix is going to give me a show that i definitely like i think there's some power to that yeah, I will say that I still probably find myself like clicking through Netflix and like a ton of different options, like all the time to try and find, you know, a movie or a TV show that might interest me in a way that doesn't seem like they're doing a great mm-hmm. job recommending to me. And like, maybe it's that I share it with my wife and we have different interests and like, you know, you know, we're not using the, we're sharing, we're sharing accounts. And so they don't have the best data, you know, who knows? There's a lot of reasons why that could be. Um, but I think it's interesting you bring that up because it, it actually ties really nicely into the next thing that we're going to talk about here, which is like, what are these streaming providers to do? And like, what vision of the future do they place their bet on if they're going to rebound, right? Like if the next CNN plus is going to succeed or Netflix is going to turn things around, like, why was it? What what did they do to to achieve that? And so uh, the the basis for this conversation that we're going to uh, kind of use is actually this sort of pretty interesting Deloitte uh, article we found, we'll throw it in the show notes, um, that basically talks about four possible end games to the streaming market. Uh, now, I am not an expert in this to know if there are more than four, but uh, we'll take them <laughs> at their word and, and we'll get into them. But the one that you were talking about, about like a lot of different content out there, lots of different options, but they need to personalize it more, is basically the first uh, of the Deloitte end games uh, for streaming that they called the universal supermarket. And the way I'd sort of explain this one and the, what, what sort of occurred to me about it is in the universal supermarket example, uh, the problem with traditional cable wasn't that there was too much content, right? Like the problem with the, the cable wasn't that you had 
5,000 channels of things to offer. It was that it was not a personalized enough experience for you and that they weren't able to bring to your fingertips at the right time, you know, the exact types of shows and, and, and live broadcasting and information that would have been most interesting to you. And I think you can kind of maybe think that Netflix is putting their money in that basket. If, you know, they're investing heavily in this sort of recommendations and profiles and, you know, your playlist, because, you know, Netflix is basically saying, yeah, like we're, we want all content under the sun, but we're going to show you what's most important. And I think that's sort of basically a bet on this universal supermarket concept of, you know, where streaming is headed. And, and I guess for this one, are we kind of saying, you know, um, I mean, if we look at where we are right now with all the, the different content producers and providers, um, this is sort of assuming that, uh, you know, uh, th- those kind of sort of uh, get gobbled up right and get cre- like like netflix eats <laughs> a ton of them and, and sort of takes their content and becomes the the one whose services is all the content is that what we're kind of saying here yeah in this example uh they basically make an argument that in a universal supermarket world uh you can only have a few key players right and they don't make any assertions about who that will be sure. but it will basically be the people who are able to gobble up the most amount of content and package it in a way that, you know, the regular consumer has, you know, three providers to consider. Just like, you know, before there was streaming, you had two cable providers and you probably hated them both. Um, but it's basically a return to that with a better user experience uh, that's more personalized to the type of viewer you are. So, you know, even though they might have thousands and thousands and thousands of, you know, channels or, or programming and things that you can look at, um, they're able to really hone in on their audience and just give you a personalized experience that matters to you. Even if you're only subscribing to, you know, one of Comcast or, you know, Verizon as your ultimate like digital media provider. Um, so I think that's possible, right? A lot of, a lot of industries boil down to those two key players, but it's hard to sort of see how we get there from where we are today. Yeah. I, I think I'm having trouble drawing like figuring out how we go from from a to b but i I actually do believe i agree with you i think it's plausible i mean even in our lifetime we've seen a trend that um uh, most industries you know or the top five or so players in that industry have increased um their share of the market over time like like things are getting more centralized and they are getting decentralized in in most industries so that does feel like sort of in a sad, I don't know if it's a sad way, but in a way, like almost the natural conclusion, like as just as time progresses, um, you have winners and losers, the losers get bought or, or go out of business. And then um, you end up with that, those few providers. I mean, we had, we had cable, like you said, um, I do agree. I think the, if I think about cable and what pushed me away from it and into like a YouTube TV, um, I, I think, it is one the the cost like the sort of ever ballooning cost and then two that that lack of um personalization like you just it's weird to say but like i feel like youtube tv cares right because that, that's sort of the easiest and um comparison to have because it, it sort of is like better cable in a way where you know my verizon fios was the same as 
my parents was the same as my neighbors. Um, and YouTube TV sort of flipped that on its head and made it a user centric model. So if you, if we're, if we could say like, Hey, if we use YouTube TV as an example, and that just gets better, and but then it could also serve me all the content, and I don't have to Google where to watch the stupid shows and t- text you, could I have a password to Apple TV or whatever it's on, then that, you know, as a consumer has some appeal. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up YouTube TV because I agree with you that, like, in terms of, you know, a recommendation service or a service that does a good job of defining who I am and what my profile is and serving me up content that meets that. Like YouTube TV, while they're pulling from a much, probably much lower kind of overall content uh, base than Netflix is, does a really good job. And maybe maybe that's the challenge, right? Is can that scale up to the size of a, a content that, that Netflix is managing? Yeah. Uh, and interesting, this is sort of a minor one, but, but put, putting my product hat on, one challenge... At- and you kind of alluded to it before, but when you when you're in a household, part we don't always make sure we're signed into like this is an Eileen type show. We're gonna watch it on Eileen's account or 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 my Eileen, my wife, or or mine. Um, you know, just whoever's kind of was last in usually will just click and go find the show we want to play. So that actually is probably a, a challenge for for the product teams at at Netflix and otherwise. Like a lot of that data may not be good because it may be like someone just was using your your profile inadvertently or maybe you just have one profile for your whole household i don't know it's do a, think, kind of an interesting I, challenge do you think there are pms at netflix that are like lobbying smart tvs to put cameras in there so that they can like <laughs> use yeah. the facebook database to identify exactly who's watching and like oh uh, that's i feel like that's coming that seems like it's coming i don't think that's far-fetched at all yeah like how for for how much longer do I actually pick the profile? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I look at yeah. my phone. Oh, it's it, it's it's Nick watching. We can tell. <laughs> yeah, Don't we worry. Can, yeah, exactly. Only he sits like that. Yeah, uh, that's that. Wow, uh, that that's that's pretty interesting. But yeah, that's one of those like you got only uh, you put kind of junk in, you get junk out. So that that seems like a very foundational challenge they they might have for any type of recommendations. Yeah. All right. Next up here is the uh, the next end game that they consider is what they call the content end game. So this one I thought was really interesting because it is, I think, maybe the most different than anything that uh, we see out there. I guess there are a few markets that are like it. But in this one, in this content end game, we as the consumer actually go directly to our content providers to pay them. We we cut out digital media and the Netflixes and the HBOs as the middlemen. There, there are no more middlemen. We are paying uh, the content creators directly, and we're putting money directly into their pockets. And in this scenario, the large digital platforms, you know, they're no longer investing in generating their own content. They're actually now focused on delivery. You know, they're focused on how can we become a platform that our content providers want their content to be on rather than work focusing on licensing things along those lines. And so I think there are a few markets that have kind of shaked out this way, uh, which is, which is interesting, but I think this is again, one that I had a hard time necessarily seeing as the ultimate, uh, like where streaming is headed mostly because I, I still think that, there's so much that content providers probably don't want to deal with when it comes to like licensing their content and getting it out there to a wider audience that like, are they going to go through the trouble of, you know, 
uh, all the things that go into making their content available on a digital media platform or, you know, can they, can, is there enough value add there that they're still going to license directly to Netflix if uh, Netflix gives them the best offer? Yeah, this is an, an interesting one. The, fir- the first thing that jumps out to me is like, is Disney Plus not just like the the best example of just of just this? I, I heard a, a quote that um, someone said, Netflix is going to, the race is really, can Netflix turn into Disney faster than Disney can turn into Netflix? <laughs> Meaning like, okay. can, the, can the content provider like Disney, uh, you know, become the, the a competent, streaming service faster than netflix can become a competent um content uh creator um and i do i do you know maybe disney is an example of that like they basically just took really good i mean if you imagine their service when it started i think we've talked about this too no skip intro no rewind restart uh the buffering wasn't great for a while no recommendate you know i mean it, it was just bare bones but they just said hey do you want to watch Marvel and Star Wars and all of our Disney content that we've made for the last 50 years? Um, and it worked, obviously. Um, so I do wonder, I, 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 I like the idea of like the, 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 the kind of like iTunes model of like, we're just serving different people's content. As far as how realistic it is, I do have some concern that like, a lot of what we consume is like, is there a difference between like, is this not a niche that YouTube fills in a way of like, there's like the big budget content that only the Disney's of the world and the Netflix can afford to make. It just costs too much money for <laughs> you and me to spin up a, a, a series, a TV show. We can do a podcast, but not a TV show. And then there's YouTube. If you just want to record yourself with a webcam and do something. And I, I don't know if there's really like an in-between. Yeah, I mean the I do think it's like a nice thought, right? It, you know, to be able to put money in the pockets of the content creators that we most admire and that we want to create more content for us. Um I do think there's a, like a big drawback to this model though where like it probably becomes dominated by the Disney's, right? Like the people that have these content creation machines and the deep pockets that can, you know, make super, you know, large budget movies like probably end up dominating a content end game market. And like, we probably don't get the smaller uh, like indie TV shows that are oftentimes like super adorable and super fun to watch uh, that like, you know, probably don't break through in a, uh, a market where we'd have to find them and it wouldn't be up to, you know, these services to sort of invest in them and promote them and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I love the vision of this, but I do agree. I think like if you're I if you're the Netflix and the Disney's and, and the those providers who who kind of can do the serving of the content and the creation of the content, you're just I don't feel like you'll ever be super incentivized to push the little the indie content out there. Right. You're just going to keep running with your your sort of uh tentpole uh shows and and kind of push those to the top, you know. Yep. So next up is one that I, I probably don't think we need to spend much time on because I just think it's way too far-fetched in terms of ever going this way. But I, this next one I consider sort of the local brewery approach of uh, the, the streaming wars where they call it revenge of the broadcasters, which 
kudos to them on the name. I think that's pretty cool. But in this uh, sort of end game, what they think happens is that the local providers become a much, much bigger player in the market now, right? And I mean, the last 15 years has been really hard for local broadcasters, right? Uh, like your local mom and pop TV stations and the news and things like that. Um, but in in this type of model, basically, they somehow imagine they have sort of a comeback where they carve out a market share based on their relationships to the consumers. And to be honest, I had a really hard time seeing how the heck this was ever going to happen because we live in such a global world now that like, there's no way I'm going to limit my content sphere to, you know, what a Boston TV station can put out. Like that's just never going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you in the world of smartphones and everyone has a camera in their pocket. It, it just, it does feel like, um, there's just a tons of ways to consume that more local boots on the ground type of information. And, and maybe it's not as polished as a local news station might do. Um, I, I'm not someone who really has, I guess, even historically watched <laughs> local news stations. This one's hard for me to even conceptualize um, this thing winning that I don't, <laughs> I, you know, I just can't speak to too super well. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I, I mean, at least for me, it wouldn't be where I would, um, I would give my attention and, or my kind of, kind of money at this point. Um, yeah. The only piece of it that I thought maybe resonated is the emphasis on truly live content, right? Like to broadcast content as opposed to like digital media content is, is live. And there are definitely platforms like YouTube, right? Where they're like live streaming, mm -hmm. immediate reactions. There is, I think, demand for that type of content. Um, but I, again, I, I just kind of feel like that's always going to be a niche need versus like end of your day, you sit down on your computer for an hour or two of family time or whatever it is, you're watch TV. Uh, you know, you, nobody wants live reactions in that instance, right? They want comfort TV or a drama or something like that. So I, I had a hard time with it. And that brings us to our last one here that we'll talk about is uh, they called it lost in diversity. And this one I'd almost consider like a, a very similar uh, to what we have today, basically, where there are many providers, there's high diversity between all the content and what they offer and who they target. And there's just constant turnover of which you're subscribing to and which providers like you need to pay for at different times. And to be honest, maybe this just because it's most similar to what we have today, but this one made a lot of sense to me. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I think so. This one is, yeah, sort of, I guess, taking what we have today and then just expanding it. You know, there's more CNN pluses of the world and they work, right? There's, uh, there's, there's more quibbies and they, and they kind of work. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, so when, when I think about this one, how I think this play, so I, I will say, I think if, if I'm, betting on any of these which maybe we can talk about at the end i'm leaning towards universal supermarkets just because that you know like we said a lot of industries trend to it winds up you just were five. a big fan of comcast right just, <laughs> i just love yeah yeah that's like i want it but if you made that <laughs> um but when i think about this one if if i'm another um streaming provider and just the sea of providers especially ones that don't have the sort of content libraries that the big players do. Um, when you're looking to compete, you know, 
I think you know the two main ways that you're going to get in is is low cost. I actually thought that was interesting. What you said was um, about CNN. I, I wasn't aware of the three dollar subscription limited time offer. I'm not saying the limited time offer part's the way to go, but uh, you know I think there's something too like I'm kind of fatigued on things around nine ninety nine. I'm not so fatigued on things around two ninety nine. I don't think. <laughs> um, and then the the second way uh, is finding a, a a niche of non-consumption so is there something that you know um th- is there a type of content that there there really isn't um a streaming service like catering or heavily catering to and so there's this audience that is choosing to um you know not pay for streaming services and and you can kind of capture that um i'm not sure that i i know what that is but i wonder if there would be a push to more niche um sort of sort of streaming products like i know there is one um called Crunchyroll, which they only do animated shows and they're like huh. 5.99 a month and it's just a pure anime streaming service and that's all they do um so it's it, not one that i've i've subscribed to but i saw it as like this very narrow niche and they sort of just have their ideas they have it all that whole catalog on there not like it's not fragmented like a little bit on netflix and a little bit you know um so that that's an interesting uh, approach yeah i think definitely as a pm this has got to be the most exciting one right it leaves the <laughs> yeah. most space for like diversity and innovation and like if you know if you're a PM and you're looking at what type of industry you want to jump into, like jumping into one with a lot of diversity, a lot of different players, a lot of disruption, that that's like the exciting name of the game part, right? Versus jumping into, I even talked to a, a PM just during a networking call earlier this week that uh, I feel like we're picking on Comcast now, but I'm pretty sure he worked <laughs> at Comcast and he was talking about how like, you know, the products he was working on have been around for 15 years and it's all, optimization, but very little disruption. Um, and I definitely think like I could totally see a world where Netflix, you know, starts spinning up like these like different sub brands with like very niche content that, you know, are under different titles or under different, um, logos and brands that, uh, they use to like stay fresh and like test new ideas. And, uh, I think that would be a super exciting, uh, you know, direction for streaming to, to, to go, right. It wouldn't be that, you know, ultra supermarket, uh, digital media has like found out how to like personalize stuff directly for you, but it would almost be more like you're opting into this new and exciting type of delivery or type of content that, um, you know, uh, has sort of gone out on a limb and taken some risks. So this is the one I'm going to root for, I think in the long term. This is definitely the one that, like you said, is, is the most fun if you're a PM because this is like this, what working asks for. It's just competition, right? It's not like you don't stare at five incumbents and you're like, oh, well, <laughs> we already lost, you know? Um, I would say, yeah, this one would this one would excite me the most. And and now I I guess, what would your appetite be? Is there a $2.99 service? I don't know if that's sustainable from a pricing model, but like, how do you feel about, are you fatigued on, like I feel subscription fatigue at this point. Like I just don't feel like I can sign up for another thing. Do you feel that way or, or where are you at with, with that, the subscription? Uh... You know, I definitely think I'd try to be mindful about it, right? Like I, uh, I, I actually recently uh, became a subscriber to my first Patreon membership. It was a U.S. men's soccer team uh, 
it's two dollars a month and i just felt like you know what like i will support the content that i enjoy for that amount like mm -hmm. that's not much um they have higher subscription tiers and i don't know if i'd pay them but i'd get in at that amount and you know help them grow their base and i don't even know if i'm like at a sustainable price point for them long term but um i don't have a problem putting money towards unique and uh compelling content and unique and compelling people right so that almost maybe maybe at heart i'm a content end game person right and i just want to be finding the people that i like you know listening to and putting money directly in their pockets yeah it, man it's so it's so funny you mentioned that because I, I feel very similarly it's and i think this go, goes back to what we were saying too about how there's like is there space between the thing produced in YouTube or, or Patreon that I can directly give money to and the streaming service. Like, is there, so, is there something in the, like, are you either Netflix or a podcast I'm giving a dollar to on Patreon or, or a, you know, content producer I'm giving a few bucks to. Um, right. And, and I, I do wonder if, if um, someone can carve out that, that niche, because as soon as it doesn't become personal, I feel like it becomes harder to, to to give money to i don't know maybe that's the lesson from today's podcast right like you gotta you gotta know your customer and these are all just different ways that these streaming services are gonna try to like really figure out who's watching and making you know a uh tv that people would pay for and it's a lot of different ways of doing it but that's what they're all after here right at the end of the day yeah ab absolutely um all right well uh i really enjoyed this and and i hope everyone listening did but even if you didn't, <laughs> we would like to know. <laughs> so um, we wanted to, to kind of try out a, a, a new type of episode here, um, and we'd love to get, get some feedback on it. So um, please kind of leave a comment. Um, uh, subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Uh, don't unsubscribe if you didn't like this one. We'll go back to the old format. Um, but yeah, any, any final words, Brendan? Uh, my final thought is I was, I was wondering if our listeners are members of the squad or are they friends of the squad? You know how like you have friends of the pod, but yeah. friends of the squad doesn't make sense. So I think they're <laughs> members of the squad, but I, I, think on that for a couple of weeks and get back to me. Okay. I think they're in the squad, but we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> talk about it offline. All right. Until next time, everyone squad out. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.